Tired of fighting your kids to make their bed? Say hello to Betty's. The unique design lets your kids make their bed with just a zip. Our patented bedding includes everything you need, a fitted sheet, top sheet, and comforter in one seamless piece that zips together. Kids love the feeling of accomplishment when they can make their bed by themselves every day. Make your mornings easier and visit Betty's.com. That's B-E-D-D-Y-S dot com. Tonight on The Readout. Frankly, I'm, I'm shocked. I'm sickened by what I saw. I've seen the video. And as DA Morley stated, you will too. In a word, it's absolutely appalling. The brutal beating death of 29-year-old Tyree Nichols brings back the horrifying memories of Rodney King. Except King survived. Nichols is dead. Now five Memphis police officers are charged with his murder. Also tonight, American radicalization. How Mike Flynn, convicted of lying to the FBI, is fusing Christian nationalism and conspiracy propaganda in his radical road shows. Plus, the racist Republican dog whistles aren't dog whistles anymore. The right-wing racist attacks against people like Congresswoman Ilhan Omar, former Secretary Elaine Chao, and many others is now right out in the open. And we begin tonight in Los Angeles, California, where I'm here for the premiere of the 1619 Project Hulu documentary, which is still legal to watch in the United States, Ron DeSantis, at least for now. And we arrive here as America deals with the real-world consequences of radicalization, which happens to be one of the consequences of allowing historical lies to fester over time. Tomorrow, we will get a disturbing glimpse of that hate when a San Francisco court releases the video of the attack on Paul Pelosi. The brazen assault took place days before the midterm election. The husband of then-Speaker Nancy Pelosi was asleep when David DePape broke into the Pelosi San Francisco home and beat him with a hammer. In addition to a hammer, Authorities recovered a roll of tape, white rope, a second hammer, a pair of rubber and cloth gloves, and zip ties, according to the police. DePape wanted to hold Nancy Pelosi hostage and break her kneecaps to make an example of her as leader of the pack of what he called the lying Democrats. He also had an additional hit list that included actor Tom Hanks, California Governor Gavin Newsom, and President Biden's son, Hunter. DePape left a trail of blog posts laden with far-right messaging fueled by dark conspiracies. Many of the posts were filled with screeds against Jewish people, black people, Democrats, the media, and transgender people, all popular topics among the radicalized right. So it should come as no surprise to learn that DePape's embrace of conspiracy theories was nurtured on sites like 4chan. According to the Washington Post, while conservatives tried to accuse him of being a left-wing fanatic, DePape's descent into darkness was triggered in 2014 with Gamergate, the vicious campaign of online abuse against female video game developers and critics, a precursor to the rise of coordinated right-wing or biased-fueled troll attacks. The vicious attack on Paul Pelosi stands as a reminder of the very dangerous world that we live in, where regular individuals become radicalized and feel compelled to act on it. Just look at the failed Republican candidate who orchestrated a string of drive-by shootings 
at the homes of Democratic elected officials, all because he, he all because he bought into the big lie that his election was stolen. Instead of enforcing stricter standards, social media sites like Twitter and Facebook, which play host to this vitriol, are leaning into this discourse under the guise of free speech. Just yesterday, Donald Trump, the man who triggered a, triggered a violent assault on the nation's capital, was welcomed back to Facebook and Instagram. Now, mind you, his invitation was made only a few weeks after he re-upped his false claims about Ruby Freeman, the black Georgia election worker who has been forced into hiding because of the death threats she received because of Trump. Nick Clegg, president at Meta, president of Meta, basically said that it wasn't their job to censor things. In the end, you know, all sorts of people say all sorts of things on the Internet all the time. Uh, and politics is particularly is full of the, you know, the good, the bad and the ugly. It's, it's, it's a rough business. We're not trying to kind of, you know, censor everything that everyone uh, says in, in, a, in an open and free democracy. You see, radicalization and hate are big business. In fact, Michael Flynn, Trump's first brief national security advisor who was convicted of lying to the FBI about his contacts with senior level Russian officials, has sought to cash in on those lies. He has joined some of the most prolific spreaders of conspiracy theories, barnstorming the country in the pseudo MAGA tent revivals that are host to some of the most vile and grotesque of those lies. The events, which are called Reaw the Reawaken America Tour, R-A-T, which does stand for rat, are Christian revival meets QAnon swap meets, meets political rallies. The most recent event was held this past weekend in Nashville, Tennessee. Jesus is king! How many of you agree that Americans elected President Donald J. Trump to be our president? How many of you agree that General Flynn is America's general, ladies and gentlemen? Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus is king and we will win this thing. I got bored with calling out Democrats, so I started calling out demons, but they're really one and the same, if you be honest with it. Billions of people are having their DNA reprogrammed as we speak. It is because of this war that we are in, of a war of narratives. And it's a difficult war. Should we call the president the real president? Joining me now is Amanda Tyler, executive director of the Baptist Joint Committee for Religious Liberty, and Donnell Harvin, senior policy researcher at the Rand Corporation and former chief of Homeland Security and Intelligence for Washington, D.C. Uh, thank you both for being here. Amanda Tyler, I do want to start with you because, you know, when we see clips of things like this Reawaken America tour, you hear a lot of merging of Christian identity uh, and Christian nationalism and violent characterizations of the left and ideas that sound a lot like they would like to overthrow the government and install a sort of violent Christian the theocracy on us. But can you talk about why there does seem to be this merger of this Christian identity talk and this violent rhetoric? Well, the organizers of the Reawaken America tour, Mike Flint uh, and um, and Clay Clark, are definitely tapping into this very deep well of Christian nationalism to sow 
doubt about the security of our election system and to uh, cast doubt as well on the safety of COVID-19 vaccines. Uh, they are infusing their political cause with religious fervor and using language that is spiritual warfare language, casting their opponents as demonic or satanic. And we need to take this extremist rhetoric incredibly seriously. Uh, because this rhetoric does lead to violence. I, I think that they are realizing the power of this language and using it for their political advantages. But be sure about this. This Christian nationalism is definitely not Christianity. It's a gross distortion of Christianity. It takes the gospel of love and replaces it with this false idol of political power. And the Christian nationalism on this tour, it is not subtle. It has been there since the beginning. Michael Flynn, he talked at one of the very first tour events back in 2021 about what his true aim was. He said we should be one nation under God and one religion under God. So they've made clear that their aim is to replace our democracy with an authoritarian theocracy. And we have to pay attention to this very real threat. Yeah, if you're listening to Ultra, and I think I say this all the time, you will see that this is nothing new and that there's been this sort of fear-based design of creating a Christian theocracy here and in their mind is the only way to, to save America. And um, I, I, I do want to bring both of you into this conversation because, you know, Michael Flynn has been at this actually for a really long time. Like he is not new to this at all. A lot of people recall that he was a general. He was the head of the Defense Intelligence Agency for quite a time um, when he was under the auspice of President Obama. Um, and he actually was sort of warned. I mean, Donald Trump was warned by President Obama, be careful of this guy because he had been espousing conspiracy theories, Michael, uh, before. Can you explain a little bit about why it's a bit? Let me actually play a little bit of sound of him. This is actually Michael Flynn, who's on Newsmax. Um, December 17, 2020, calling for martial law in response to Donald Trump losing the election. Take a listen. I mean, before the he could order the the um, in, within the swing states, if he wanted to, he could take military capabilities and he could place them in those states and basically rerun an election in each of those states. I mean, it's not unprecedented. I mean, these people out there talking about martial law, it's like it's something that we've never done. We've done the martial law has been instituted 64 64 times. Donnell, let me ask you about that, because, you know, it, there, there seems to me to be a greater danger when the person that is spreading um, the lies and is sort of leading the, the charge is somebody that the United States has actually trained uh, in military intelligence, trained to defend the country. And this is somebody who has said, that COVID was created by the World Health Organization, the UN, and Bill Gates to steal the 2020 election. He pleaded the fifth multiple times when he was asked if he believes in a peaceful transfer of power. He talked about saying that Donald Trump should do things like use the military to seize voting machines. This is somebody that was trained by the United States military, and now he's using everything that was poured into him to try to lead this supposed Christian nationalist revolution. Donnell, talk about why that is more dangerous than just a civilian at this. 
Troy, there's a lot to unpack here, but uh, what, what, what's really interesting is that uh, many think that he's the leader of, uh, you know, this big conspiracy theory of QAnon. Um, what you're having is that these lies uh, are promulgated online um, and, you know, generally, historically, we kind of laugh at some of these conspiracy theorists who, you know, uh, we, we call them, you know, tinfoil hat folks and you know, they're in their mom's basement and so forth. But what you've seen over the last five to six years is that these movements have been legitimized by high ranking government officials. And, and he's really the, the, the cheerleader of this. The fact of the matter is, it's not just him. If you look at uh, those who are uh, being prosecuted from January 6th, um, military uh, individuals, former and current, we just saw three prosecuted the last week, are overrepresented as an occupation on that day. And so there's something specific about uh, government service, uh, people like Michael Flynn, who think that they're protecting America or the Constitution, that allows them to be manipulated by some of these online theories. Um, and it's very, very problematic. In fact, uh, we've been talking about the, the similarities between some of these hate groups that we see in the United States and some of the foreign terrorist organizations and how they manipulate religion. So the lead-in is really appropriate in that fact, that you can take a regular individual who finds themselves pious or religious and be able to twist doctrine and blend some of these hate ideologies and spit out a violent extremist on the other end of that equation. Right. And Amanda, can you talk about that, the specific thing? Because it definitely feels like there is an overrepresentation. You know, you think about groups like the Oath Keepers. These are former military people and people who are police or former police. Um, you think about the Proud Boys. They developed a very close affinity with police before they started, you know, beating people up on the streets, you know, going after Speaker Pelosi in Miami, ripping down Black Lives Matter flags and then showing up as Donald Trump's personal army. But there does seem like there is this kind of through line of people who are military related, people who are hyper uh, white Christian mainly, because you see a few people of color. Um, why does that through line seem to be there? Well, I think you're you're tapping into this idea of white Christian nationalism, that uh, Christian nationalism often overlaps with and provides cover for white supremacy and racial subjugation. And so we see a lot of these hate groups using the ideology of Christian nationalism to bring more people to their cause, to uh, try to cloak their actions with this veneer of respectability, using the name of Jesus, using scripture to justify what they're doing, uh, to code their racist language in religious language. And for Christians like me and for those in our Christians Against Christian Nationalism movement, uh, this is uh, incredibly alarming and disturbing to see our faith used in this way. Um, and we see how Christian nationalism is used by these groups to unite um, people from a lot of different groups and, and ideologies to unite them with a common language, uh, using these this Christian language, this Christian imagery um, that infuses all of their actions that uh, suggests that God approves of their undertaking, even that God is directing their actions. And so it, it gives people this sense of God's providential hand at work in their life that, that God is directing these hateful actions. Um, so I don't think that Christian nationalism alone can explain, um, what, what's going on with these attacks to democracy and, and specifically these, this white supremacist violence. But I don't think we're going to fully understand to get 
the full picture if we don't really grapple and understand Christian nationalism. And we're seeing it on this tour, um, how Christian nationalism is infused throughout all of the events with the name of Jesus, with using scripture, with using worship music, um, often it, to do this work in houses of worship. It's really alarming. Yeah. And uh, I, I'm going to have to bring you both back because the other, th- I'm sorry, very quickly, last word. I'll give you Donna the last I word. Really, really quick. And, and when you add that there's a really a, a big rise in the gun culture along with Christianity. Mm-hmm. So owning guns now isn't no longer a Second Amendment right to some of these folks. It's a God-given right. You know, you're, these things are combining in a very volatile and dangerous way. Yeah. And the thing we didn't get to is the misogyny aspect, too. I think we need to go back and relook at Gamergate, which was forgotten by a lot of people, but an intense misogyny that also feeds into this anti-abortion hysteria um, and hysteria about women leaving the home and getting out there and doing things they think only men should be doing, like working, et cetera, uh, instead of just having babies. So, so there's a whole bunch to it. But we'll have you both come back and talk about it even more. Thank you, Amanda Tyler and Donnell Harbin. Up next on The Readout, Republican politicians are now confidently letting their race freak flag fly. And very few of the party's leaders are willing to call them out. The readout continues after this. Tired of fighting your kids to make their bed? Say hello to Betty's. The unique design lets your kids make their bed with just a zip. Our patented bedding includes everything you need, a fitted sheet, top sheet, and comforter in one seamless piece that zips together. Kids love the feeling of accomplishment when they can make their bed by themselves every day. Make your mornings easier and visit Bettys.com. That's B-E-D-D-Y-S dot com. Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Lawmakers who oppose abortion are attacking Planned Parenthood which means affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. The right to control our bodies and get the health care we need has been stolen from us. And now, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills that would block people from getting the sexual and reproductive care they need. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves health care. It's a human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies and against policies that interfere with decisions between patients and their doctor. Planned Parenthood needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, we can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future. There was a time when Republicans relied on racist dog whistles, trying to avoid saying the quiet part out loud. Now, they don't even care about being quiet at all, and perhaps for good reason. Such comments do not appear to be rejected, rebuked, or even criticized by the party leaders anymore. Listen to this brazen attack by conservative activist Charlie Kirk against Congresswoman Ilhan Omar. Ilhan Omar is not exactly making a compelling case that the mass infusion of Somali immigrants are able to assimilate successfully into Western constitutional republic tradition in life. What is he even talking about? She went from being a refugee to becoming a member of Congress. As my colleague Mehdi Hassan points out, Kirk makes clear what the real problem is with Ilhan Omar for Republicans. She is a black, African, Muslim, Somali refugee, which has made her a regular target of Republicans. 
Yesterday, Marjorie Greene, who has never been quiet on anything, was taunting Omar over the Republicans' push to remove her committee assignments. This is the same Margie Green who claimed that Omar, as well as Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib, who is Palestinian-American, are illegitimate members of Congress because they didn't take their oaths of office on a Christian Bible. And what should we expect, given who the leader of the party is? As a prime example, Donald Trump has been on a months-long bigoted attack of one of his own former cabinet members, Elaine Chao, repeatedly distorting her name in a racist manner. You know, it's Mitch McConnell's wife. And while the party leadership including Mitch McConnell, has once again been mostly MIA. Chow is now belatedly calling Trump out. She wrote, when I was a young, when I was young, some people deliberately misspelled or mispronounced my name. Asian Americans have worked hard to change that experience for the next generation. He doesn't seem to understand that, which says a whole lot more about him than it will ever say about Asian Americans. Here, here. Joining me now is Jamil Smith, essayist for the Los Angeles Times, and Kurt Bardella, Democratic strategist, and two California uh, residents, I should note. I don't know if—well, Kurt has abandoned California for uh, the, the uh, DMV, but thank you both for being here. And I do want to go to you first, Kurt, on this, because, I mean, look, I, I, women don't need um, their, their man to fight their battles, but it, I, I will note that Elaine Chow has had to come forward and say that on her own, and her very powerful husband, uh, Kentucky's senior senator and uh, Senate minority leader, Mitch McConnell, did not defend her and did not defend Asian-Americans um, when the attack was initially made. But what do you make of her response and the silence beyond her own um, self-defense? I mean, obviously, I agree with every word that she said. Uh, I-, I wish it didn't take something like this, something that personal to get any Republican to speak out against the dangerous incendiary rhetoric, the racist rhetoric that's been targeting the Asian American community for years now. We've seen this rising dramatic escalation in hate crimes targeting Asian Americans that directly coincides with the rhetoric of the Republican Party, with the rhetoric of Donald Trump using terms like Kung flu and China virus. Uh, it shouldn't take a personal attack to get someone who you know, was a cabinet secretary, was a, one of the highest ranking Asian Americans in the United States of America to say something. I want people in power in those positions to step forward and say something because it's the right thing to do. I want Mitch McConnell to step forward and say something, not because it's his wife, not because it's a relative, because it's the right thing to do. And with the rising threats and violence, and that's something that I've seen personally. Every time I'm on your show, Joy, I get the threats. I get the racist comments directed at me. And that is just wrong. And we're seeing this you know, ultimate Endgame is going to be people who look like me are going to be subject to violent attacks and harassment. People should step up and say something about their own party's leadership doing that, encouraging that, making fun of the people that they kowtow to and try to go on their shows and win over their audience. They are complicit in that. And every single person who is who is the victim of a hate crime, the target of these attacks, those people, the people who let that happen, they have blood on their hands. Yeah. And I, I'm now going to use a word that is illegal to say in Florida, intersectionality, uh, Jamil, uh, that, you know, that, you know, that is illegal in Florida, but yes, I'm not indeed. in Florida right now. So I can say it in the free state of California. Um, the reason that intersectionality is important, right, mm-hmm. is to understand people have experiences that sort of cross over these multiple lines right. and the intersectionality of supporting other people. Allyship is, you know, black folk have been, we've been here since 1619. I'm here for the 1619 project premiere. Indeed. And we have learned over that time that the attacks on us metastasize, right? 
right? right. Meta- attacks on Jewish people metastasize. Um, and so you, we support each other, LGBTQ folks, folks who are, you know, they are intersectional. You can be mm-hmm. black, you can be Asian American, you can be white. Um, but you, you learn. It comes back at you eventually, too. They get everybody eventually. They get everybody for some reason. And that's the reason we try to support one another on these attacks. Um, It used to be that Republicans understood a different version of intersectionality, which is that we need to say something when somebody in our midst says something real racist. Because that means we can't go recruit other Asian Americans to join us. Right. We can't get other black people to join us. Mm-hmm. You know, like only like 10 percent of African-Americans want to be Republicans right now. Right. Why did they stop doing that? Well, I think they stopped doing it, frankly, because they just felt maybe they didn't need the numbers. Like it really and that really draws us to the real problem at hand. The problem isn't necessarily the people in power. It's the people who are putting them in power. It's the people who are voting to put the Marjorie Taylor Greens in office and letting them do what they're going to do. We know what kind of clownish acts that they perpetrate. But the people who are in Georgia, in Tennessee and all these other states that are putting these people in office are saying, you know what, that's okay. That's how we want to be represented. And why do we want to be represented like that? Well, we don't really care about them making laws for us or making our lives better. We just want them to make us feel better about being white. And really, ultimately, that is what it comes down to. And the consequence of that, of course, is that, you know, yes, we've seen these shootings that we've seen this week in Monterey Park and Half Moon Bay. Yes, they're committed by Asian men, but there's a reason why a lot of folks thought that they might have been committed by white supremacists, because white supremacy cannot survive without violence. And is it that simple, Kurt? Is that, you know, the sort of Sean Trendy maximize the white vote, you know, strategy, right? We're saying you don't have to chase black and Asian American and Latino voters other than Cuban Americans in Miami-Dade County who already pretty much vote Republican. You can just max white voters out and making this simplistic, you know, notion that you can just go after white working class voters by saying, you know, throwing out hatred against other groups and saying, pit you against them and you stick with us because we're your we're your team. Yeah, well, it's like this kind of dual play, right? There's that element of it, but it's directly tied to the effort of the big lie of voter suppression of the systemic attack against democracy we have seen from the Republican Party since 2020. All of that is designed to make sure that anyone who isn't white isn't able to participate in the democratic process. When we talk about the, the assault on democracy, when we talk about the effort to try to dictate who votes for who and who's allowed to participate, it is directly tied to racism. It is directly tied to Republican Party's deliberate effort to pander only to white voters. They know that if the playing field is, the playing field is even, they can't win. We've seen that in election after election at this point. So they keep trying to change the rules so that only their side can participate and thereby that's the only way they think they can win. And, and you know, the, right, because the problem with this strategy, Jamil, is that it's a limited time strategy. Right. The demographics are what they are. Yeah. If you're five years old right now, you already live in a world where white Americans are the minority, right? right. And yeah. so over time, it just gets worse and worse. And then when they can't win, then they get even madder. And then they get madder when they can't win. And then they do more surprise. It's like it's a vicious cycle. Yeah. At a certain point, it doesn't work anymore. How do you, how do they back out of it? Well, I don't think they do back out of it at this point. I think really what backs them out of it is that they start to lose these elections that they care so much about. The You know, the voters say, you know what, like, this is enough for us. We're not going to vote for you anymore. Or, you know, frankly, they get outnumbered. Yeah. You know, isn't this why they're so freaked out about wokeness? Because (laughs) when black people were saying stay woke, they didn't care about woke. They care (laughs) about white kids being woke because young white Americans, if they say 
I care about Black Lives Matter. Yeah. Well, then they're, then they're not just losing among black and brown and Asian American and most Latino voters. Right. They also start losing young white voters, which actually happened in this last election. Under 30s went with the Dems. Well, I think that's actually what's animating Ron DeSantis' push in Florida, because you look at what he's doing. What white students make up 2.2 percent more, I guess, uh, 2.2 times more than the black students in AP classes in Florida. They're worried about white kids learning black history and then possibly growing up to change things. They're they're worried that they're going to start voting for things that raise rich people's taxes, which is their prime record. Keep their low. And Joy, one quick thing too, Joy. Yeah. Like there's a reason why every single chairman that was appointed by the Republican Party in the House is white. Every single one. Uh-huh. And they made that real clear because we thought Byron Donald was going to be their speaker. But all of a sudden they decided he didn't even get a gavel. Not only did he not get to be the speaker, they were like, you don't even get a gavel, brother. <laughs> but thank you very much for being here. We appreciate you. You know, <laughs> uh, Jamil Smith and Kurt Bardella, thank you both very much. And up next, five former Memphis police officers are now in custody for murder on murder charges in the brutal beating death of Tyree Nichols. We're back after this. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. We all want the same thing. We want justice for Tyree Nichols. It's my hope that if there is any silver lining to be drawn from this very dark cloud, it's that perhaps this incident can open a broader conversation about the need for police reform. We have yet again another black man who has died after a violent arrest by police officers. Tyree Nichols, a 29-year-old man, died almost three weeks ago after Memphis police pulled him over and allegedly beat him for three straight minutes. The video of the assault, which attorneys for the Nichols family have likened to the 1991 Rodney King beating, will be released tomorrow night. Tragically, it isn't hard to imagine the patterns of police abuses, including unchecked brutality, unchecked brutality that turn human beings into hashtags. But imagine a situation where everyone involved is black. The victim, along with the cops involved, as well as the police chief, who called the incident heinous, reckless, and inhumane. It's also a case where the response occurred the way it's supposed to, namely, efficiently. All five officers were fired last Friday, less than two weeks after the assault on Nichols. And today, those officers were indicted by a grand jury on charges ranging from second-degree murder, aggravated assault, aggravated kidnapping, official misconduct, and official oppression for the death of Tyree Nichols. 
The Nichols family will hold a presser tomorrow. But here is one of their attorneys alongside Tyree's mother, a mother earlier this week. He was a human pinata for those police officers. It was an unadulterated, unabashed, nonstop beating of this young boy for three minutes. Oh, my God. Joining me now is Paul Butler, MSNBC legal analyst and a former federal prosecutor. Um, and Paul, we have done this a lot, uh, very many times. Um, uh, these are the charges that these officers face, second-degree murder, official misconduct, aggravated kidnapping, aggravated assault, official oppression. The officers' names are Tadarius Bean, Demetrius Haley, Emmett Martin III, Desmond Mills Jr., and Justin Smith, um, all of whom, if they were out of uniform, could easily be pulled over and be in Tyree's situation. Um, what do you make of these officers and what they did um, to this young man and the speed of these charges? So the officers are not charged with hate crimes or civil rights violations. So racial animus isn't anything that the prosecution has to prove. The Memphis Police Department is actually majority black, but citizens still have the same complaints about that department as they do other departments. In 2015, Memphis police officers took a man in custody and proceeded to beat him with paddles and chairs. And they were suspended without pay, but no criminal charges were brought. What's different today, Joy, is that there's literally a new sheriff in town. Memphis Police Chief Davis was appointed. She came in with a reform agenda inspired by the murder of George Floyd. So I think the movement for Black Lives and the activists that it created deserve much of the credit for why the chief and prosecutor acted so quickly in this case to try to bring these officers to justice. Right. I mean, there's a sense from what you're saying that police culture um, seems to supersede race in a lot of situations. When police are allowed for decade after decade to operate with impunity, you get almost sort of a gang mentality. You can do whatever you want to whoever you want. It doesn't matter. There's no discipline involved. And the officers who do speak up, and I've you know, talked to officers who have said this, that the one guy who decides to speak up is branded an outcast or a snitch. I mean, look what's happened, you know, to some of the officers who've spoken about January 6th and how they're, they're treated, um, you know, by fellow officers. Is that what this is? Is this a culture problem that's bigger than necessarily just the race of the officers? It's 100% a cultural problem. Old school policing lore says that if a guy tries to run when officers want to arrest him, he pays for it. Bad apple cops follow that principle, but that's not what the majority of hardworking law-abiding officers do or should do. In this case, Mr. Nichols was beaten just 100 yards from his mother's house. He may have been trying to run there, and obviously he was right to be afraid of these officers. Well, let me play um, Tyree's mom. Um, she wasn't able to get through watching the whole video. Her name is Rovon Wells. Here, here's what she had to say. I watched about a minute of it, but I couldn't once I heard my son say, what did I do? I just, I lost it. And I couldn't, I didn't need to see a video to see what they did. I saw him in person where my son had lumps and on his head and his neck was broke and he had 
his head was so swollen until it was starting to split open. Um, that was enough for me to see as his mother. President Biden issued a statement saying public trust is the foundation of public safety and there are still too many places in America where the bonds of trust are frayed to broken. Tyree's death is a painful reminder that we must do more to ensure our criminal justice system lives up to the promise of fair and impartial justice, equal treatment and dignity for all. I'm going to put on screen how quickly it took for officers in several cases from Philando Castile to Jalen Walker to Breonna Taylor to George Floyd to actually be fired. Uh, what can we learn from the way this case is being handled with these African-American officers? And all of the victims, in, of course, in these cases are black. So once again, the videotape makes a huge difference. I, I hate to think of what would have happened if this horrific act hadn't been caught on video. But we know that many people, especially black and brown people, uh, have complaints that police use excessive force. And typically, those officers are not even disciplined much less charged with crimes. And so when we look to how we can do better, there's some common sense police reform, including what was contained in the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act that Congress has failed to act on. And I should be a little bit more specific than Congress. It's the Republicans in Congress who have stood in the way of passing legislation that would make a difference and prevent more tragic cases like this one. And uh, the money that they uh, receive from the national police unions, et cetera, uh, in many ways is one of the issues. And we can have a whole conversation about that. This young man left to photograph sunsets and skateboard. He had a four-year-old. He had been working as a FedEx driver. This is a human being um, who should still be here. Paul Butler, thank you very much for being here. Still ahead. President Biden calls out Republicans' twisted economic priorities as he works to attract blue-collar voters with priorities like better jobs, bigger paychecks, and lower taxes. More next. And now these MAGA Republicans have to introduce another bill. It's going to eliminate the IRS, going to eliminate it completely. The only guys can go in and look at the complicated tax returns that people have and replace the IRS, which would be nice, no, no, no taxes, right? Except with a 30% national sales tax and everything from if you buy a home to a car to eggs. Who do you think pays for that? Who do you think is going to get ripped off? That's right. They want to raise taxes on working to middle class people. That was President Biden in a speech where he announced a stronger than expected economy, going after Republicans for their brazen attacks on the working class. In particular, he called out their latest harebrained idea of killing the IRS and replacing that tax revenue with a 30 percent sales tax on everything. Americans would get some of the tax money back through a rebate, but it would get rid of the personal income tax, taking away benefits low-income people receive from the current tax code, like the earned income and child tax credits. And it would severely reduce the amount that the rich pay on their wages, as well as on their investments, allowing all of their savings to go tax-free. A 2006 study found that the lower and middle classes would actually end up paying more under such a scheme while the richest would pay less. It's pretty much par for the course, you know, despite the whole media narrative going back to the 2016 election that Trump won because of economic anxiety. Republicans haven't helped the working class like they've helped their wealthy donors. Insert Trump's tax cuts that ended up benefiting the rich the most. In fact, it took Biden's presidency to pass legislation that will actually directly help those blue-collar Americans. 
with his infrastructure bill, chips and sciences bill, and the Inflation Reduction Act. Today, he emphasized the thousands of jobs that will be created through his Infrastructure Act and stressed that many of these jobs will go to Americans without college degrees. Contrast that with what Republicans are trying, not just with the sales tax idea, but with their attacks on Social Security and Medicare. Ever since these programs were created, it has been a fever dream of the rich to get rid of them. And now they're calling for major cuts. This, as these so-called populist Republicans stay at the extremely relatable $1,200 a night Waldorf Astoria Hotel in California to elect their next RNC chair. Their pro-wealthy extremism is leading to dangerous brinksmanship, something that Biden also called out today. Well, we will talk to his top economic advisor next. But I will not let anyone use the full faith and credit of the United States as a bargaining chip. The United States of America, we pay our debts. The very notion that we would default on the safest, most respected debt in the world is mind boggling. Joining me now from the White House is Brian Deese, director of President Biden's National Economic Council. Uh, Mr. Deese, uh, thank you for coming on. I I do want to ask you about this because we do have this debt ceiling fight coming up with the current speaker, Kevin McCarthy, having promised the most extreme parts of his party that he would bargain uh, on the debt ceiling to get cuts. And they seem to be eyeing cuts in Social Security, Medicare. They want deep cuts to very necessary programs for the most indigent Americans. How hard is the White House prepared to go to stand firm to say no to those cuts? Well, first, we need to put this in context. We learned today, and we've seen a lot of data that supports this, that our economy is coming back in a strong, resilient and equitable way. We are, as the president said, actually seeing what it looks like when we have a recovery that grows from the bottom up and middle out, meaning wages are growing fastest for people at the bottom end of the income distribution. Economic growth is solid. Job growth is at historic highs. The unemployment rate is at historic lows. So one of the most important things when you are making progress is to not violate the Hippocratic Oath. Don't set us backward. And this is the one of the, the problems with this entire conversation, which is the idea that the United States would sacrifice the full faith and credit of the United States should not ever be negotiable because even the prospect that we would do that could weaken our economy. It could weaken internationally the views of how stable the United States is. It's certainly something that our adversaries, adversaries would cheer. So what we have made very clear is that basic notion that the United States honors the past obligations that the United States has already made is not a negotiable principle, but we're happy to have a conversation about what the right economic policies are for the country. You listed well, a number of things mm-hmm. that Republicans have said they are for. Mm-hmm. Let's have a conversation mm-hmm. about those. Well, the president has things that he wants to move forward. That's a conversation we absolutely can have. So are you saying that the White House is willing to have a conversation about cutting Social Security and Medicare? No. We're, what we're saying is that we want to say, set forward our priorities. The president has been very clear about what his priorities are and what his plan is. He has put out budgets in the past. He will put a budget out shortly. And what it will show is his plan to invest in the United States, protect Medicare and Social Security, strengthen it, not cut benefits, and reduce the deficit by making sure that the wealthy and large corporations uh, pay somewhat higher taxes. That's his plan. It will be out for everybody to see all the numbers. People can debate those items, but that's what the president is for. What we need the House Republicans to do is put out their plan, put forward specifically what they would cut, where they would cut, 
And then we can have a conversation about that. The president's been very clear. If the conversation is about cutting Medicare and Social Security, he's not for mm-hmm. that. But if the conversation mm-hmm. is about how we can keep making progress, for example, in reducing prescription drug crisis uh, for our seniors well, and for people across the country, that's a conversation we're certainly more than happy to have. But, but, I, but I think you all are realistic. I mean, you're, we're not talking about, you know, sort of the olden days Republicans. We're talking about Kevin McCarthy's crew, which is like Marjorie Taylor Greene and other people um, who are governing by conspiracy theory. And they've already said what they'd like to do, which is institute a 30 percent sales tax on everything, anything you buy, a carton of eggs, a gallon of milk, 30 percent surcharge, which would destroy poor people and also elderly people who are on fixed incomes on Social Security. Um, if that is where they start, how do you even have a serious conversation with the House, with anyone in the House of Representatives? Well, this is why it's so important that we get to specifics and that the House Republicans really put down what they're for. Because some of these ideas are so far outside of the mainstream and so extreme. As you say, a 30% sales tax on everything that people buy, 30% increase in the price of a car, 30% increase in the price of hamburger or milk at the grocery store. They are so far extreme that I think what we will see is that both Democrats and more right. moderate Republicans will will reject these ideas. So we have to see what a majority of the Republican right. Party in the House is actually prepared to stand but, up and say they're for. We know, for example, be- the first the first bill they passed would increase the deficit by one hundred and fourteen billion dollars by lowering taxes for the very wealthiest Americans. They passed that bill with a majority in the House. That's clearly a statement of priorities. We need to now that would increase the deficit. We need to now see where they are prepared to cut. We, the, the initial indications suggest really extreme proposals. Well, we are going to have to have you back because I have a whole lot of questions about Social Security and the cap and the income cap and things like that. But uh, sadly, we are out of town. National Economic Council Director Brian Deese, thank you very much. Uh, and all that is the readout. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.